0: And my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal. You know that. Fire! Just like last but time. states like
1: Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly
0: important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its twenty electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Joseph, Philly girl. Well, I'm a screen guy. oh Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania.
1: May is Asian-American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and it's especially important to celebrate and recognize this year. It's been a really difficult one for the Asian-American community across our country. There is no doubt in my mind that Asian-Americans have made an incredible contribution to Pennsylvania and to our country at large, both recently and throughout our history. So we're going to take a break from Pittsburgh politics. We're going to profile a second Asian-American leader here in Pennsylvania. I think you'll really enjoy getting to know him. Earlier, we had State Representative Patty Kim, who shared her incredible and inspiring story. Today, we're going to sit down with Coach He's worked with Congresswoman Madeline Dean for a decade in Montgomery County, in Harrisburg, and Washington. There is news tonight about the growing incidence of racist and often violent attacks against Asian Americans in this country. More than 2,800 reports since the pandemic began. Coach welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you for having me, Ari. So, Co, I don't remember exactly when we first got to know each other, but I know it was uh, by that point you were a grizzled veteran. I um, mean, you had worked with the congresswoman when uh, she was even mulling over a run for state rep. So if you could share with our listeners uh, a little about your start and how you first met the now vice chair of the Judiciary Committee. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're very glad about that recent position.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I've been
0: working for uh, Madeline or. Um, if you ever meet her, she will tell you immediately to call her mad. So I'm just going to call her mad on here. I met her in 2012. She was running for state rep at the time in Avenue Township in Montgomery County. And my connection to her actually was kind of just fortuitous. I was actually working at a restaurant. Uh, just got out of college and was uh, kind of in my gap year, went for poly English, and was trying to figure out my next thing. And I was asked by a colleague uh, to work her shift for her. And I said, sure. Why do you need the night off? And uh, she said, oh, my my aunt is running. She's running for state rep. It's her first fundraiser. And I said, you know what? Instead, bring me as her date and I'll find someone to cover your shift. Uh, so I found someone to cover her shift. And and it was Madeline Dean's uh, first fundraiser. Um, I remember the uh, the then house leader was there and and anyway, so I met I met Madeline. I was introduced to her by her niece Caroline. And then uh, I just said I was, you know, really eager to get into politics. I went to school. I was really I read about her, and uh, her and her then campaign manager at the time, you know, asked me what I was doing and uh, and hired me basically on the spot. I had to record uh, all of the interviews and the speeches from there. And uh, I started the next day. And once you won election, the special election in May of twenty twelve. Uh, I came on as, as, uh, staff, starting off with constituent services. So I basically have done every position in the office, which has been helpful. So that, that's kind of my, uh, connection to, to Madeline is just that that's quite
1: the trajectory. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
1: yeah. Almost uh, completely by happenstance. Yeah.
0: It's just, you know, you never know. Uh, I, I'm on call sometimes with, um, you know, like students and stuff. And, and you know you know, you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there and cause you really never know when opportunity is going to arise because if i hadn't talked my way into being someone's date for the campaign fundraiser you know i might still be in that restaurant who knows instead of
1: uh, so are you are you
0: originally uh, from southeast pa i'm actually originally from upstate new york but i went to school at Chestnut Hill college in, in philadelphia
1: gotcha but you now know more or less every uh township if not every uh, cul-de-sac of every township in uh, montgomery county Uh,
0: Yeah, that's the gig and a little bit of Burks too. So, uh, and then we'll have to uh, come this uh, next election or probably in about a year, year and a half, I'll have uh, have, uh, some new
1: areas that I'll have to learn with uh, redistricting, which we're all watching very closely. So you mentioned the poli-sci degree. I mean, at what point did you get interested in, in, in politics? I mean, I've always been interested in politics. My parents,
0: well, my mother mostly was very active and, and passionate about politics. So, you know, I was definitely that kid in college that, you know, I don't know how, what all of your listeners' persuasion is, but I have like a, remember I had a, an anti-Bush uh, poster in my locker. Like i me into a little bit of trouble in high school, and, and um, some teachers didn't appreciate it, especially in the state of New York. But uh, I always knew that I wanted to be involved in politics and, you know, Polysight was a natural choice for me, and and I was just lucky to really be able to take that. Now, the humanity sometimes it's tough to figure out the gig into a career, but I was fortunate, and and I hitched my wagon to a uh, a rising star, and
1: and she's been she's been very good to Austin, all of our staff. So, uh, did you did you volunteer? I mean, going to school in Philadelphia. I mean, being as purple as the Commonwealth is. I mean, did you volunteer on campaigns, or was that that yes. first fundraiser uh, with the niece? I mean, was that no, the like, first I, foray into electoral I, politics? I was in Chestnut Hill, Democrats for Obama. Um, so
0: I remember I knocked doors in my dorm, went to Temple to knock doors, knocked doors in some of the neighborhoods, and that was the first campaign that I got you know really involved. I think I think Obama in you know, way is really. What solidified a lot of people's passion for politics and to see what could be. Um, I spoke to a lot of young people, so yeah, I remember I went to a an event at the convention center, and he was there. And this is during the primary, and it it just was like, oh, this is my guy. Like I'm, I'll do anything for him. So, but so that was
1: that was my first campaign. So it's quite possible, actually, that we did meet at some point. And I was ah. running around with Senator Casey at the time, who put his neck out there to endorse uh, then Senator Obama. Uh, yeah. In that- in that 2008 primary. And I also distinctly remember that the, uh, the Dean Cunane family was uh, uh, good supporters in the 2006 race uh, as well. So, but anyhow, so you, you have seen Harrisburg, uh, the ins and outs, and you've seen the ins and outs of Washington. What would you say is the biggest difference? Well, it's definitely different leagues. Uh, I think you could say, I mean, personally, the biggest difference
0: was going from a vast minority in the Pennsylvania state house to the majority in Congress. I think we I worked for Matt for six years in the state house, and we got one bill passed ever um, out of the house. And it was one of the last days of the legislative year. And they kind of gave it to Madeline as one of the, the final things, but knowing that there would be no way for it to actually pass before the cycle started again. So really being able to affect change and have your ideas and your passions move forward in the legislative process is, is the biggest difference and then the other thing just you know on a day-to-day basis just the hours are a lot different you know it's basically you know when the chief you know didn't really sleep for about two years in congress and came in on some crazy things you know between you know it's one of those things where like you know it's got to be the craziest it's now coming in on a budget government shutdown and then basically daily craziness coming from the administration then the pandemic then the the riot and the invasion and then second impeachment uh the uh it just you're kind of what's going to be the craziest thing? This is going to be the craziest thing, and, and it never really uh, plateaued. I'm hoping it plateaued, as especially as we see the light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic now.
1: I think definitely let's let's touch on the last uh, two years, uh, but let's go backward over the uh, six years. Were you commuting back and forth to Harrisburg, or were you living in Harrisburg? No, so
0: I well, I like I said, I started in constituent services, and I really think that. Anybody that's in politics uh, should start off and do at least some stint in constituent services because, it,
1: you know, there might be times
0: where it seems like you're living a life of parks and rec, but it, it definitely grounds you and I think it, it helps you remind you why you're doing the work that you're doing that actually has an effect on the people on the ground day to day. But then I went from constituent services to legislative affairs for her, her office. And then she became leadership in the state house, uh, southeast delegation chair. So I moved to Harrisburg, and uh, my portfolio was to kind of rally all the southeastern Democrats and get their portfolios together, get them ready for caucus and session the weeks coming up. Um, I did that for about two years, and then she decided to run. She did a brief stint running for lieutenant governor, but then all the maps got redrawn, and it was clear that that Congress was the right choice. So she. Uh ran for Congress. I got married in so somebody else did her campaign for the primary and I ran uh with another person her general campaign. I remember I got married at the end of July. I moved back to Harrisburg, packed up for a week as my honeymoon, and then moved to Warminster to run the campaign. So it's just been it was a crazy ride. And then like I said, she won, got sworn in under a budget shutdown, and it didn't the pace didn't really stop uh from From then till now.
1: Wow. (laughs) Um, That's uh, definitely a whirlwind. And then um, the the transition to Washington. I mean, to what extent were you taking a team that had been uh, your team in the state house versus building out uh, a new team?
0: Uh, We had a really good mix. I know I had definitely less federal experience than a lot of the other chiefs coming in at the time. But, you know, I had built a relationship with Madeline and established that trust. And when you're building out a team, I think that you know uh, trust is something that can only come with time. So I think I had that on my side, and I was lucky to surround myself with people that really knew the ins and outs of of DC. So our LD, Colleen, who you know worked for Brady before us, so we made sure that you know we had people that that knew to complement where my expertise uh, lacked. Uh, we probably went about our state house staff was a staff of four. Um, we brought over most of the, the people, but then of course I had to find more people, and and we're not a staff now. A staff of oh, fifteen at the moment. So, yeah, we, I, you know, I think we really hit the ground running.
1: I think a lot of our listeners Co., uh, you know, some of whom twenty eighteen really was when they first got active. You know, there was a wake up call in a big way, uh, as you mentioned the two thousand eight cycle, but uh, maybe even a bigger way as the dust was settling from twenty sixteen. And I think a lot of our listeners were deeply involved in what became known the Fab Four yeah. and, and those campaigns. So to what extent in those early months were you leaning on your fellow chiefs in uh, the Houlihan, Scanlon and Wild Operations and, you know, overall, how, how much of your teams were, were kind of gelling and Oh,
0: we definitely relied on each other a lot. I mean, so some of the Fab Four chiefs, I may have been the only campaign manager that transitioned into chief. Uh, but I mean, right from the bat, you know, I met with everybody during the training. We still have a chat group among the four member staffs about you know we basically run uh, most ideas by past each other like oh has you know has uh, has this union approached you about this piece of legislation or brought this controversy or issue or project up with you you know down to like just the regular stuff of like oh you know how long you know how what do you uh, you know what's your bereavement policy or what is your whatever reply so, it, so it's been really helpful and and then of course you find a couple of more veteran people on the hill that you can also just look for for advice because you really can't do this job without at least having a couple of like circle of of advisors when if you're ever trying to set up an office and doing training the one thing that you will hear probably ten thousand times is it's like drinking from a fire hose i can't tell you how many times i heard that thousands of times but it is actually pretty accurate because Trying to open up. The thing is that they won't let you open an office before swearing in day. So you really go from nothing, nothing, nothing to have to hire a staff of 18 on January 3rd, trying to open two offices, get computers, get furniture, and, um, you know, get your Twitter profile uh, verified, everything. So it, it is pretty nuts, especially those first three to six months.
1: Um, really didn't get a whole lot of sleep. We're going to, we're going to wrap up soon. You've been super generous with your time. Give a sense though. I mean, to take that team into, I mean, really sailing into the unknown uh, a year ago with the pandemic that uh, no one had any sense, you know, when we were in May of 2020 that people would still be talking about pandemic in May of 2021. I mean, how did you, how did you kind of prepare your team as folks were going virtual, which was kind of unheard of? And then, you know, I imagine in the day to day, kind of daily calendar for the congresswoman also i mean that that changed dramatically as well uh well it basically
0: started by like not quite but as close to like threatening everybody as, like uh, that i could get it held up to uh, to get computers because uh, there's definitely a run on computers i mean we thought that it was going to be two weeks at most we only had a few laptops and a lot of ipads and they the supply office ran out real fast so i had to call everybody to try and get them before that day up last day and then those first few weeks, all we have were questions. You know, we had questions, constituents have questions, everything was voicemail because we had nobody in the office. So we we're just listening to voicemails of desperate people trying to figure out, you know, when am I going to be able to go back to work? My business is failing. Uh will there be assistance? Will there be aid? And it, it really was just questions. And we you feel kind of at a loss because it's our duty to be able to provide answers and help people, and it it took you know until that first uh, stimulus bill before we could start saying, hey, this is this is how we're going to help you get through to the end of the end of the week, end of the day, end of the month, because we don't know how long it's going to last. And you know, there was just you know, we did week daily calls with all staff saying, hey, what's the common question for today? Does anybody have any answers? And we really just had to rely on each other to find out whatever answers it was and and message them back, but. It, it was, it was really hard and, and, you know, you felt it was tough to do your job because you just
1: didn't, didn't, couldn't give people the answers that they so desperately needed. So last question. It's AAPI Heritage Month. Sure. It's unfortunately been a very difficult year mm-hmm. for our Asian American uh, community uh, in Pennsylvania and nationwide. Uh, what does the month mean to you? So it has been a difficult month, but it, it's, it's been an opportunity to kind
0: of look back at you know, what it means to be part of the AAPI community. It, I think that, and this is speaking purely from a personal stance, but I feel as though I never, I didn't really talk about my heritage as much. I'm, I'm half Japanese. I'm actually half my, half um, Japanese and um, my mom's uh, Polish Scottish. My parents met in the Philippines of the Peace Corps. And so I'm a, a second generation immigrant. And this, it was a reason to kind of really look at how can I help People in my community, I've I've talked about it more than I ever have before. And so it has been difficult, but I think it has really fostered some conversations that were difficult, but I'd never had before. Um, and it also shows that there's a lot of support out there as well for people that are, you know, feeling similarly and didn't necessarily feel as if they had a voice. It, It definitely is changed that there are people that care about, you know, how the community is doing and willing to have a conversation. And so that has been as difficult as it is and, and as unfortunate as the reasons surrounding why it's come up, it has been cathartic and, and kind of self-identifying
1: experience. Well, Co, thank you uh, for the work you've done in the trenches uh, for nearly a decade now. And yeah. um, certainly over this historic year for uh, a real rising star um, here in Washington. Thank you. And thank you for all, you. I mean, you mentioned, you know, going
0: to other chiefs in the beginning and stuff like that, looking for advice, but It's also going to you for questions as well. So, you know, I was looking for recommendations for people and staff and support. So thank you for, for your help getting set up in the early days, too. Well, you're very welcome. Keep it up.
1: All right. You too. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media, at PAPoliticalPodcasts, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.